Hello, fabulous listeners. Thanks for tuning in to All Bodies Outside. This is your host, Dr. Brian Peterson. This episode's guest is Coach Monique DeMonico, who is a change management expert. She has been a pioneer in the emotional well-being coaching industry for 20 plus years. She's the nation's most experienced rapid transformational hypnotherapist and is the recipient of the 2021 Influential Leadership Award from Pittsburgh Professional Women. Furthermore, she is the author of the book titled, Most People Don't Need a Therapist, They Just Need a Change. You can get more information about Coach Monique at www.coachmonique.com. Coach Monique, it's an honor to have you on Old Bodies Outside. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today with you and your audience. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, So where is your coaching based out of? Um, We're actually in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but I work with clients um, all over the world. So right now I have clients in five different states and two different countries, as well as um, I would say about half my clients are local here in Pittsburgh and the other 50% are, um, you know, elsewhere nationally or internationally. Yeah. So how long have your coaching services gone international? Um, We had a few before the pandemic. Um, I would say I'd had about five in the years before the pandemic. And then with the pandemic, that really skyrocketed. During the pandemic, it was probably a good third of my business was international. That's phenomenal. Well, that's got to be pretty fun. Yeah, it is. You get to hear different, you know, perspectives from cultural perspective. And um, sometimes the accents are also just nice to hear. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And I think like it's refreshing to probably hear those different cultural perspectives too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it's really fun because sometimes you have to think outside of the box. You have to take a completely different approach. Um, you have to be able to present the information in a way that people can culturally accept it. Uh, particularly when you're talking to someone whose cultures who have very definitive rules or expectations as it pertains to gender. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a great opportunity that is for you and just kind of a fun part of the life journey. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, with that, why don't we uh, kind of dive into hearing some more about your coaching services and the variety of services that you offer? Uh, Well, my coaching is all based in brain science. Emotional intelligence, often referred to as EQ, and the psychology of happiness. Uh, So I like to say everyone has a brain and a mind, but most people don't have the user's manual. And in our work, we help provide that user's manual. Um, We offer, I would say right now, about 70% of our business, our, our client roster, is life coaching. And then we have other segments, uh, executive leadership coaching, as well as a program failure to launch for young people. Uh, but all the coaching programs have the brain science based work and those things because, you know, we don't leave our personal problems at home and we often don't leave our executive and leadership problems at the office. And so there, regardless of the program, there's a lot of blending of everything that we do. And uh, that makes it 
you know, even when people are struggling, for example, in their careers, there are generally things that are rooted in their personal life or their history that are helping to create these issues yeah, that yeah. they're facing. And so in the introduction, I mentioned you've been doing this for 20 plus years. How did you get started and how did it all evolve? I mean, you have such a skill set here that, you know, you're able to reach a lot of people and help them out. Um, well, I like to say I've lived in this body of work for 30 years. I've worked in it for 20 years. So as someone who grew up in rural poverty with two mentally ill parents, um, who had a lot of learning disabilities and health issues, um, I was probably, I was in my late twenties when I really started to understand that I needed to do deeper work on myself. Personal growth was always something I had an interest in, but, and so I worked myself like like a full-time job for about 10 years. And I did therapy. And even though the title of my book is Most People Don't Need Therapy, I'm a big advocate for therapy. Um, that title's kind of, you know, tongue in cheek. And I just really did a lot of things as my own personal journey. And then I began to have conversations and experiences uh, with other people, sometimes just socially, you know, with other parents and recognizing while everyone's circumstances are unique to them, a lot of my struggle other people were experiencing as well. And, um, you know, I had a lot of friends and people who would look to me for advice and want my um, opinions. And I was passionate about the work. So I started, a I started my business, originally just doing workshops, actually in yoga and yoga studios, bookstores. And it just kept progressing to larger groups because of my story, I was asked to do a lot of motivational speaking. And then I actually had um, audience members and workshop members who would, were interested in life coaching. So I wanted to get um, as much experience and the highest quality education and training I could for that. And it just kind of evolved and grew. And then I started getting requests from life coaching clients. You know, could you come into our family business and do leadership coaching? You know, could you come in and do a workshop for our team? And so that just kind of grew. And then as I would have clients who maybe had teenagers or young adults who were struggling and, hey, would you talk to my, my son or my daughter who's 25 and still struggling? So all the programs that we offer um, are really spinoffs of what I was originally doing. And I'm proud to say that everything that we offer was really client driven. So clients saying to me, you need to write a book. Um, you know, could you come into our business, come into our business and, and do this work? So it was, it was, it's very gratifying because that speaks to the value that people get from it and the vote of confidence in me. And so it's been a wonderful journey. And it's interesting how it's gone from personally driven to client driven and, you know, just being able to help people out. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say like when I started life coaching 20 years ago, particularly here in Pittsburgh and the East coast, if you don't take New York into consideration, life coaching was not something people understood or were familiar with. So early in my career, there was a lot of what I considered educating the consumer. And so, you know, we did things like we have a full professional office you know, we have a brand and, you know, we really live that brand and live that image. Um, and now what has happened is the market is just flooded with coaches, right? You can take a five hour course and be a life coach. So 
if we went from educating the consumer to really continuing to educate the consumer, but in a different way, you know, you need to look at value and there are a ton of people who are going to help you with your problems for $99, right? In a, in three sessions. So just, you know, again, it's just a different way of educating the consumer and differentiating yourself and providing value that people appreciate because they are educated consumers themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even for consumers that are maybe just ignorant about coaching and, you know, what to look for. So they're out there and like, Hey, I'm interested in um, getting, working with a coach, but I don't know how to even make that decision. What are some indicators of things they should look for when they're trying to find a coach that, you know, is, is truly an expert what they're doing. They've been doing it for a number of years. What are some indicators they can look for? Well, we actually wrote a blog about that. And if you'd like, we can forward that to you later if you'd like to put it in a link. Um, The top thing to look for in a coach is experience. How long have you been doing this? Uh, Is this your main career or a side hustle? What is your training? Where, what is your certification? Are you a member of um, the coaching federation? And these are just, you know, telltale signs. And there's nothing wrong with people who are doing things as a side hustle, right? I, I didn't work full time when I started. But really examining is um, because now the life coaching certifications are so easy to get. Uh, if someone's a marketing expert and now they've gotten into life coaching, you have to take that into consideration when you look at their marketing material, for example. Um, so an understanding value, like being an educated consumer and understanding sometimes just from a common sense perspective of why, why the price differential and asking a question, even if someone is a very reasonably priced asking them why they're, you know, what helps them to develop their price point. And that's a very legitimate question. And that's a question I enjoy getting. Also, any time you, when you have these questions and you should have questions, I want people to ask me questions. I consider that a very good sign. And you should be able to ask any question, right? And get a reasonable answer that the person can answer organically and naturally. Nice, nice. Well, let's get into a little bit of hearing about some of your coaching. And so one of the things that I wanted to learn about was when people have behaviors that are perceived as problematic, um, what's typically the, the root cause? What's going on there? That's funny you use the term problematic. I always say there's no such thing as problem behavior, but there are certainly behaviors that are a problem. So the key to really overcoming and to recognize is awareness. And so awareness, I define awareness as your thoughts, beliefs, expectations, and interpretations of past experiences. As you become more aware, right, then you can understand the connection with the behavior. So for example, the behavior of procrastination is actually a fear of failure. But if you think you just need a better calendar or better app or better training around time management, you're focusing on a behavior but not understanding why the behavior exists. I always say that, you know, problem behaviors 
are always either a coping mechanism or a consequence of what you don't know that you don't know. So if you understand what drives that behavior, then that is your only point of power. And I can give you a quick example. I was working with a woman who was, I think she was 51. She had a lifetime of always being late. I'm talking about so late that her husband wouldn't even go anywhere with her. If she was invited to a party, she's going to show up halfway through with a wet head and frazzled. Um, and so this was creating problems in her marriage and her relationship. She was losing friends. And so when I was working with her, what I helped her to uncover was when she was 14, her father um, had terminal cancer. She was closest with her father, didn't have a great relationship with her mother. And on her father's deathbed, literally, they called them into the hospice and they thought it would be hours until he passed. And it ended up being almost two days. And during that time, she desperately did not want her father to die. But anyone who's ever done the bedside vigil for a long period of time also recognizes how stressful that could be and waiting for him to die. And in her 14-year-old mind, she made the connection that waiting was so painful. So she put herself in a position where she was never waiting uh, without recognizing that that was just a consequence of unresolved uh, fear around her father dying and loss of connection um, and just the panic that that would bring on for a 14-year-old child. But she, she remembered that that had happened with her dad. It wasn't like consciously she wasn't aware of it, but she didn't make that connection. Yeah. That connection sounds really powerful. And as you said, that awareness is connected to your thoughts, beliefs, expectations, interpretations. But what about how do you help your clients figure out that awareness and make that connection? Um, how does that come in? I'm assuming that's a big major part of the coaching service. It is. But I just want to go back just one second. Yeah. Most change management programs do focus on the behavior. And the, ch the success with change management programs is relatively low. And there are actually some industries where your failure is built into the industry business model. Um, the two that come to mind are the weight loss industry and the drug and alcohol recovery. They know that if you come once, the likelihood of you returning is very high. So I just wanted to give that background about why change management can be so tricky because change management always nearly always focuses on the behavior but you're missing the point if you don't understand why the behavior exists you can't really sustainably change it yeah well that's a great point it's a great point um yeah and so going back to you know the, the question is how, how do you figure out where that behavior is rooted in uh what's the connection to uh you know an earlier maybe piece of trauma in life or something else some sort of other experience well, we have our change management, right? As your awareness increases, the behavior will naturally or organically begin to change, or at least your point of awareness is when you can do something about it. And that's what creates change in your life. But there are four core reasons for all emotional suffering. The first one is the belief that I'm not enough. Uh, like I said, I work with people all over the world. I think conservatively, 93, 94% of the population has that belief. For some people, it's very obvious when I say the belief you're not enough, immediately they're like, raise their hand, yes, that's me. Other people are not necessarily as consciously uh, aware of it, but if we dig down just a little bit, 
they will have that realization. Uh, maybe they've been in denial or maybe it's just become so normalized for them. Um, the second core belief of human uh, source for human suffering is the belief that what I want is not available to me, even if others can have it. And that can be anything from an intangible like confidence um, or, you know, something very, very tangible, a successful career, a successful relationship, the ability to lose weight, the ability to find love. Um, and sometimes people have that belief it's cultural, right? It's not available to people like us. And sometimes someone will believe that they've done something or there's something about them personally that they don't deserve it or they can't have it. Interesting. Um, the third is the fear of rejection. So rejection is actually rooted in the primal brain. As a species, we're not actually that old. And not that long ago, the fear of being rejected meant that you were likely to perish, right? The world really wasn't a safe place. And if you were rejected from your tribe, you know, your chances of survival were diminished. So that primal part of our brain is just trying to keep us safe. That's why so many people report there's a real or perceived re rejection, even like you accidentally weren't included on the email link, right? Or you accidentally were overlooked for something, but it wasn't personal. And people will recognize that they have a physiological response to that because that's your brain saying, oh, this isn't safe, this isn't safe. Uh, the fourth is the need for connection. So we are wired, we are designed, wired, and built to be connected. Uh, we have what's called in our brain mirror neurons. And that's why if you smile, chances are I'm going to smile back. Or if you yawn, you know, chances are that the other person yawns. We mimic each other's behavior. It's why if, you, if anyone's ever had the experience of trying to feed a baby, right, we will often open our mouths because we want them to open their mouths. Those are those mirror neurons. Um, so I like to say that everyone has a pie. Um, but everyone's pie is unique to them. Some people, their number one thing is rejection uh, or their number one thing is the belief I'm not enough. And so I will have people rank that, you know, where are you with those four? Uh, sometimes you get people who don't have one um, and that's fine. Everyone, is, you know, everyone's experience is unique to them. But then we start with those four core universal beliefs and we work that with our conceptual model of change being awareness, behavior, creating change. And that starts to connect the dots. Good coaching is asking powerful questions and then helping clients just connect the dots so that they can realize the answers within them. I'm not giving them the answer. I'm not telling them. I'm creating the space for them to evolve and go deep and, you know, discovery in a way that works for them. Yeah. So you're, you're using a lot of powerful questions and you're, you're kind of adapting as they go, as they navigate to kind of figure out, you know, where they're going to connect the dots between these kind of four core beliefs of human suffering. Right. And we've actually trademarked now 13 brain-based uh, emotional intelligence-based tools. So I'm a very tool-driven coach. Well, I feel like with tools too, it, it helps people to understand it easier too. Like it, it feels a little bit more accessible. 
Um, and maybe that's something that, you know, you go to talk therapy and you have this interaction, but you don't really necessarily feel like you're, uh, you know, really understanding what's going on necessarily with the session. Yeah. And the, the mind works in stories and pictures. Um, so, I mean, TED Talks is strictly based on this, right? So TED Talks can take any subject, much of which you might find dry or uninteresting, but their speakers tell a story and it creates engagement. So with these tools, right, it creates a story, a picture, something for the mind to hang on to. It makes it tangible. So a lot of things that we think of as intangible, such as confidence, um, I've created a tool for that. Yeah. Right. And you can get your mind around that. Your, your mind knows what to do with with a tool, a story, a picture and some, some of the work. Stage. Yeah. And in my office, for example, I have a six foot glass board and many of the tools are worked out on the glass board, sometimes in color. And clients will look at that and it will suddenly create these shifts, these knowings. And, you know, once you know, you can't not know. And when I work with clients virtually, we have different tools that we use that we put up on the screen and, you know, we send them packets of, of material so that they're using that during the session. And it makes a huge difference. Um, I actually have several therapists and doctors who refer to me because of the way that I work. And all of therapists say to me, I just, I can't do what you do in 50 minutes because they are uh, therapy. Traditional therapy is often dictated by insurance, which is a 50 minute hour. I work with clients in 90 minutes to two hours because we're learning these tools and we're applying them to your life specifically. Yeah, gosh, it sounds like you with these tangible types of tools, maybe told the to stories or pictures or scenes um, can really have a great effect to have, you know, create some change in that person, and, you know, quickly see some outcomes probably. Absolutely. Um, most of my clients will report that they begin to experience some kind of change with the first session. And change takes place in three ways. Um, working with me, clients will recognize the change uh, as it's happening, right? Just the coaching session creates this experience that creates change. And then we have what's called gradual change, right? You see session to session. Um, where this is going. And then there's this click, right? This, at some point it starts to just all come together, right? And you'll be like, yes. And when that happens, you, you can't unknow, right? And it's something like there's the person before and the person after, right? It's just, it now all falls into place and it's just new right? It's a new start. Oh, wow. That sounds refreshing. Um, yeah, I like that. You know, there's that gradual change going on too, though, with um, maybe it's baby steps that aren't even necessarily perceptible too, and then click. Yeah. I call that retroactive change. You're just like, okay. oh my God, suddenly there it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so since we're kind of been given a little bit of a loose comparison, are there any other differences between uh, your coaching and talk therapy? I know there's some um, major differences. Um, you know, the time and the tools, and I really contribute those two things to the high rate of success my clients have. In talk therapy, and again, I'm a fan, there's 
there tends to be a lot of repetition of focusing on, you know, or rehashing to some degree what you've already discovered, what you're trying to do, right? In my coaching, once we've talked about something, unless there's new information, we don't focus on that. I look at coaching and the what comes up right as information. But there's, there's typically not a lot of value in rehashing. So if a client wants to go there, I will ask them, is there any new information to share? And if the answer is no, it's my 25-year-old story, right? And we'll try to get a different perspective or helping the client get unstuck that they're in that place, right? The mind makes very little differentiation between reality and what is being vividly recalled or perceived. If you look at um, PTSD, that's a prime example. The trauma isn't here now, but the traumatic experience is continuing on. So the more you focus on what you don't want, or the more you focus on what was painful or failure, the more you're actually wiring your brain to keep going back to that. So there is a place for therapy, and I'm not saying that's not a good thing, but that's not what we do. Coaching is very forward facing. We want enough information to know where we got, how we got to where we are, but then we want to engage in the tools and the process to move forward. I will also say 75% of the clients, and we track this, have been in therapy or are currently in therapy and not getting the changes that they want. And that doesn't mean they're not in good therapy. It's just a totally innovative, different approach that most people aren't even, don't even know it's a thing. Well, that's right. I, I honestly did not know it was a thing until about a month ago. So uh, this is all new information. Me, I've, I think I'm pretty similar to most people. I've heard a lot about talk therapy, um, mm -hmm. but I haven't heard about emotional well-being coaching. Yeah. Well, and again, that's just focused. I think the insurance companies set the standard, right? You can have a 50 minute hour, you know, once a week for 27 weeks or a year. And so that becomes, you know, what people automatically think of because that's what they know. And the stigma around therapy, it's a wonderful thing that it's been lifted, right? But it's just, it's the default. Yeah, it's absolutely the default. Um, so why don't we use that to kind of hear some more about your book. And if you don't mind, uh, the book, it's titled Most People Don't Need a Therapist, They Just Need a Change. Um, so when when did you release your book? Was it about two or three years ago? No, it was actually eight years ago. I had had clients for years saying, oh, you need to put this in a book. You need to put this in a book. And it had been a lifelong dream of mine to write a book. I'm an addictive reader. Um, and so yeah. my 50th birthday was coming up. And I decided that if I'm going to do it, you know, do it in celebration of my 50th birthday. So actually, the book was launched um, the week of my 50th birthday. Unbeknownst to me, we had a big launch party. Unbeknownst to me, my husband was throwing a surprise 50th. So I ended up with two big events in one week, four days apart. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good way to celebrate 50. Yeah, it was good. So... Um, yeah, that's how the book became. And I wrote the book. Um, I did the outline of the book actually in six weeks because I wrote the book the same way that I coach, right? The, each chapter has a tool. So the opening is 
this is what the tool is, this is how you use it, here's an example of how it's been successful, okay, here's the tool, step by step. And then after we've taught the tool, right, doing um, what I would think of as a Q&A, right, questions about the tool, the answers, and then the next chapter and the next chapter. And I also gave in the beginning of the book when I talked a little bit about my story as why I was an authority. And then these tools and helping people to move forward. Nice. So it's pretty clearly laid out in a very user-friendly. You can read it cover to cover or you can just hone into a specific kind of tool. Although I recommend that you read it cover to cover at least once just for perspective, not just yeah. because it's my book. But I have a lot of readers who will, clients and just readers whom I've never met who will say, I read it cover to cover once, maybe twice, but I keep it on my desk or next to the bed because I refer back to these tools as I need them. Yeah, yeah. It seems like the structure is fantastic for that. It seems like it, it probably would be optimized to read cover to cover and then, you know, at that time or again, but then at that time, you know, go into where you're like, hey, I could get a refresher on that tool. Like I, I noticed this about myself. I have more awareness of myself. I could get, you know, an update on that tool and just, you know, revisit it for, you know, optimizing my mind uh, functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go to page 37. I'm having a negative thought, right? I need to tune <laughs> that's in. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so earlier you mentioned, um, uh, you talked about your coaching services and you talked about life coaching, coaching to executives, failure to launch. I think there's a fourth one that I'm not remembering. What was it? Well, you went out there for a minute, failure to launch. So, yeah. So I mentioned, um, life coaching, Coaching for executives, failure launch, and then was there a fourth one? Uh, leadership. Leadership. That's what I forgot. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so way back at the start of our conversation, life coaching did catch my ear, and that was something that I wanted to hear some more about, but I wanted to make sure I was repeating the four services there. Uh, so I forgot leadership, so sorry about that. But I did want to hear more about what does the program look like for life coaching? Uh, well, we offer two programs, uh, the Unlock Bold Change program, is eight sessions. Each session lasts 90 minutes to two hours. All my work includes unlimited phone, text, and email support between sessions. And because everything is customized, I'll have clients, I've had clients who've done the eight sessions in six weeks, and I've had clients who've taken 16 weeks. So it's where you are, what your schedule allows, right? If you're on vacation for two weeks, you're probably not gonna wanna have a coaching session. Um, and many of my clients will wait to use that eighth session and have maybe three or four weeks go between seven and eight just so they have perspective what it is they might want to fine tune where's an area in their life where they just need a little more support um, i would say probably 75 percent of my clients use that program um, and are very happy with the results we also offer a policy that if at any time you're not getting the results that you want or it's not working for you or you've already achieved the goal, you know, we have a refund policy for unused sessions. The second program is the Evolutionary Shift Program. And that program is really designed for people who are passionate about personal development, uh, may have had trauma, stress and anxiety as well, but they're looking to do a deeper, more long-term dive. That is a weekly program with guaranteed 60 to 90 minute sessions, but it also comes with a travel pack. 
we named it the evolutionary shift program because we tend to think of evolution as a long, slow process that happened long ago. And this is about your personal evolution. So even some of the things in the travel pack are like a copper bracelet and a specific kind of candle. So in the beginning of the program, I hypnotize you to evolutionary shift so that when you see the or feel the bracelet or you smell the candle or you're holding the pen, which are all imbued with that, that it keeps taking you back that you're on your own evolutionary shift journey. So, and I would say the average client stays with that program about three months, but it's totally, again, self-directed. So you can stay a month. I've had clients who have stayed years. Yeah. And so talking about hypnotherapy, why is that effective for some of the life coaching tools that you're, you're working with? Hypnotherapy allows you to access the subconscious mind. Um, the brain doesn't really begin to develop the ability to think critically and logically till about the age of 11. And that process isn't even complete until mid twenties. So that's why it's so easy for children to believe in the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. Cause they're just like not thinking about how does that happen, right? You tell them and they believe it. And so many people have gotten direct and indirect messages about not being enough, for example, or that you're bad or whatever those messages have been. And so because at young ages, we don't have the ability to think critically and logically, we just accept that all is true. Um, I, it's like little sponges, right? So if you've had a negative incident or a painful incident on the playground, or you've had some kind of abuse, um, or there's just been something going on in your life and your interpretation is that it's you, not that. For example, you know, young children who have parents who are physically abusive or emotionally abusive, or let's say mom's an alcoholic and not emotionally unavailable, children don't say to themselves, oh, dad's got a problem or mom's an alcoholic. They internalize that it must be me. If I were better, then they wouldn't treat me that way. And that's why a lot of people end up with the belief I'm not enough. It's something that was, that seed was planted when they were young. And so with rapid transformational hypnotherapy, you can take people back to that so that we can make those connections, right? Where's the behavior coming from? Where's this lack of confidence coming from? And oftentimes they'll consciously remember the incident, but they don't recognize the connection that was made. That awareness. And yeah. I, use, I use the coaching. For example, I don't do hypnotherapy or RTT until typically about the third session. Because by then I've worked enough with the client that directs the hypnotherapy session. Mm, right. Yeah. It so gives the, me. The hypno, yeah. The yeah I have a better idea of the questions to ask, right? Where yeah. it's going to, where I'm going to take the session. Yeah. Yeah. So it's informed. Nice. Um, so, okay. So kind of understanding where those messages are coming from. Um, as I was preparing for this podcast, I saw two things that you had. Uh, mentioned about um, some messaging that can occur for people that might, you know, be problematic later in life. And one was um, if they're, you know, message to have immediate gratification. And then the other one was um, something that I actually never heard of. And that was negative generational cycles. And I got to imagine that probably comes from messaging too. And so I wondered if you wanted to touch on uh, that immediate gratification uh, as, you know, messaging and kind of how maybe that's come up in your, 
uh, with your clients and also that generational negative cycle. Yeah, so immediate the ability to delay gratification is a, is a significant marker in recognizing success, however you define success, right? If you are always or nearly always re reacting to short-term, the short-term payoff, and you find it difficult to reach longer-term goals because you have to be consistent and you get off track with the short-term so for, I'll use an easy example, right? If someone wants to buy a car, that's their long-term goal to save money to buy a car, but they have difficulty delaying gratification. So when they see something, they buy it, right? When they have the opportunity for an experience or something to spend money on, they do. Recognizing that, consciously recognizing like, I have to save money, right? But if I go out with my friends, um, too often, right, I'm spending more money. And they might even understand I'm going out with my friends, so I'm not saving that $50 or $20. But they have a hard time denying themselves in the short term for long-term goals. So there was a study done, I think, of kindergartners, where in the study, in the lab, they took a, a kind of candy that that child liked. Let's just use a cookie, for example. And you can have one cookie now, but if you wait five minutes, you can have two cookies. And the children who demonstrated the ability to delay gratification because they wanted two cookies, when they followed these kids into adulthood, that remained pretty consistent. The kids who struggled to delay gratification were still struggling, and the kids who were able to do that were finding typically more success, right, more happiness in life and living closer to the lives they wanted because of that ability to delay, right? Okay, so that makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. And um, I'm a parent of an 11 and 12 year old, so I will be keeping delayed gratification uh, in my mind. Um, and that's something that maybe I worry about with uh, the quick pleasures of using a cell phone and social media. Um, and instead of going out and maybe achieving a long-term goal that's a project or something. I don't have an example off the top of my head, but I, I do worry about their immediate pleasure and gratification of the cell phone. Um, and so that all made a lot of sense to me. And thank you for sharing those studies. What about with um, kind of this like cycles of generational uh, dysfunction that can go from generation to generation? Um, how does that get created? Uh, because I got to imagine that's messaging that goes from probably parents to kids and they become parents and they probably pass it on to their kids. Is that what's going on? Absolutely. Right. You see that in poverty. You see that in a lot of different ways, right? It becomes the mindset. I'll share a quick personal example. So if you recall, the third thing, um, the second thing I said in the four core reasons for emotional suffering was the belief that what I want isn't available to me. And I came from a family that multi-generational, like people like us. So fill in the blank, like people like us have to work really hard just to put food on the table. People like us don't have money. People like us don't know the right people. You know, people like us don't go to college. I mean, the list of people like us, right? And so I kind of just grew up with that and accepted it. And then at the age of 24, I had the opportunity to go to college as a single parent, which at that time was extraordinary in my family. 
And then after I graduated from college and, you know, my life started to unfold, I was doing a lot of things that people like us don't do, right? I was buying a new car. Um, I was flying to go on vacation. That's certainly things people like us don't do, right? And a lot of these things. And so I began to question that and I realized, no, I'm doing them. So people like us can and do do those things. And then it was interesting. I thought I had overcome that. And then about 10 years ago in my business, I had some other goals and I hired a business coach. And he really came to me after six months and he said, I'm a little confused. He said, you're doing everything I'm asking you to do and more. Uh, you have a wonderful service and a product. You know, I don't understand why you don't have a six month waiting list. Like what is happening here? And I recognized that it wasn't in the behavior that there was something going on. So I actually went to my office on a Sunday afternoon and I used some of the tools on my own glass board. And what I realized was I had already attained so much of what people like us don't do. Who did I think I was to break through that barrier? And as soon as I had that realization and created that shift, I didn't do anything any differently in my behaviors consciously, but like that's when the book came about. Um, that's when my most recent office, which is my nicest, most professional office, that opportunity came about. Things just started shifting in my life. Yeah. Right. So you have to look at, is that true? And so often we just accept, you know, mm -hmm. that in my case, I accepted it until I was in my mid to late twenties and thirties. And then even when I thought I had overcome it, I had not. And you see that with generational poverty and dysfunction, right? The belief that it's just not possible. And if you believe something isn't possible, you're not going to go after it. Yeah, it's so amazing how that can perpetuate, that mindset can perpetuate. And I think we talked about that with a different example earlier on in the conversation. I forget what the example was, but something where it was perpetuating um, the problem, the behavior that's perceived as being problematic. Um, it's perpetuating mm -hmm. it just by kind of like thinking about it that, you know, it's one of those four core beliefs, I guess is what it comes down to that, you know, causes the human mm -hmm. suffering. Right. And it's what you know. So you just continue to do what you know. I mean, sometimes I have to break the news to someone who will come to me for relationship coaching, right? And maybe they've had five people in their lives, but everyone's, all their relationships, people are emotionally unavailable or there's some kind of emotional abuse or there's something going on. Um, and sometimes I, I have to break it to someone. You haven't had five relationships. You've had the same relationship five times with five different people, right? Because it's for all of us. It's what you don't know that you don't know that runs the show. Yeah. Interesting. So they have had five different relationships. They've had five relationships with different people, but they, the mode of that relationship has all looked the same. It's had the same right. type of feelings, same type of outcomes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Wow, Coach Monique, we have covered a lot of material today and you have given very accessible explanations because I've been able to understand everything that you've talked about and I am by no means in your world at all. So um, I thought that was fantastic. And my concluding question of the episode is if there's someone that's listening, um, happens to check out this podcast episode, how can they reach out to you uh, about your coaching? Uh, well, you can go to the website, www.coachmonique.com. There's tons of information that expands on what I said here today. 
uh, as well as a contact form. So you can schedule your own what we call 30-minute discovery calls, which are um, complimentary. You schedule them according to your time and what's available. And the other thing, if you have questions about the information we covered today or you want to reach out directly, you could reach me at Monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E, at coachmonique.com. And because they would, you know, they know about me because of your podcast, you know, in the subject line, just put Brian's podcast and I will know when I see it, you know, that this is a specific, you know, question or not question, but right email in regards yeah. to this podcast. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, well, Coach Monique, I think we are at the end of the episode here. I just want to say thank you again for delivering high quality content. That was fantastic. And it's been a pleasure to get to talk with you today. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed being here with you. And, um, you know, my hope is that your listeners uh, become more informed consumers, right? Consumers of information and um, that it brings value to them. And it's, I love talking about what I do. So when I get the opportunity, I'm most appreciative. So thank you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Okay, I'm gonna throw on the outro music and we'll call it an episode. Perfect.